back to How to Save the Planet, the podcast where we dig into the solutions to climate breakdown and what they might mean for your life. I'm Louisa. And I'm Danny. How are you doing, Louisa? I'm all right. Uh, I think like full disclosure to listeners and you, it's quite late on Friday afternoon. um, So I'm not my most eloquent self. Um, But I'm like, I'm functioning, you know, getting by. How are you? I'm all right. I've just had a tea. I feel a little bit more energized. Um, After we recorded our last episode, you recommended a bunch of TikToks for me to listen to. And I'm now addicted. And if my manager gets annoyed at me for missing my next assignment, I'm going to have to blame it all on you, Louisa. I'm okay with that because my core mission in life at the moment is actually to to try and get more people addicted to TikTok so that I've got more people to talk to about what I spend my time doing because otherwise it's just me being like, have you seen that TikTok? And everyone says no. Um, every conversation with my housemates at the moment basically starts with me saying, so I saw this thing on TikTok and it'll be some like weird like psychology theory or like bit recipe or, or something thing um which probably has no like basis in fact but that's where i'm currently getting all of my education from so join so me. i'm just one of your many tiktok recruits no it doesn't work that often okay <laughs> okay so quick reminder that if you'd like to ask us anything about this podcast you can tweet us at friends underscore earth or uh, use the hashtag how to save the planet um you can also email us at podcast at foe.co.uk uh today we're going to be continuing our little mini series on how we can make a greener fairer future by talking about something that impacts us all which is employment and specifically what we mean by green jobs and some of the changes that we need to see to be making more of them and how you go about getting one etc um, and we're going to be joined by two exciting guests that we will intro you to shortly but first of all danny what's been going on in the environment i guess i'll start off with some good news last episode we spoke about a coal mine in cumbria this coal mine was approved by cumbria council last year and there's been a huge amount of pressure on the government to try and stop the mine by launching a public inquiry Initially, the government decided not to launch a public inquiry, and they got absolutely hammered by so many different people and organizations. And big news, a couple of weeks ago, the government made a dramatic U-turn and decided that it would create a public inquiry after all, which would assess whether the coal mine is compatible with our um, climate change commitments. So there's now a really decent chance that we can scrap this coal mine after all. Because there's no way it is in line with our climate change commitments, right? Yeah, spoiler alert, it's not. So now for the bad news. And we are, we are spoiled for choice right now. But the thing that I'd say the thing that I'm most worried about is this new policing bill that the government is trying to get through, which has all kinds of, um, uh, all kinds of implications for, for organizations like Friends of the Earth and beyond. But I don't know enough about this. Louisa, you know way more than me, so I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay, yeah, so the policing bill. So this is a bit of a big and... 
dangerous uh, bit of news. And we're going to be doing an episode that digs into it a little bit more in a few weeks' time to kind of really examine it. But in summary, the government is trying to push through some dangerous new laws that would mean harsh sentences for engaging in nonviolent protest. Um, and the sort of the vague language in the bill means that under like new laws, even say like a lone school striker could potentially face arrest for making noise or causing annoyance to people. But we're really concerned about this. Nonviolent protest is an essential part of a functioning democracy, and it's been a cornerstone of how we as Friends of the Earth have been uh, winning things for the last 50 years, from the Climate Change Act to banning bee-killing pesticides to a moratorium on fracking. Like our biggest wins have used nonviolent protest protest to build pressure on politicians. Um, it's, it's an essential part of making our voices heard and protests aren't always quiet. They're not always easily ignored, um, but they, they do work. There's not much point to having a silent protest. Um, the point of a protest is that we have to make our voices heard. We have to be loud. We have to be disruptive. We have to dramatise the issue um, to, to, to raise awareness. So, um, yeah, I've been to lots of protests and they've generally been really inspiring really um great experiences that i've learned a lot from yeah so the and like this bill like like you say like the nature of protest is it's disruptive it's louder the the point is to make our voices heard um and this bill is a really concerning threat to our freedom of assembly our freedom to protest our freedom of speech um and it's also got some disturbing new trespass laws that really target gypsy roma and traveler communities and essentially sort of criminalize their way of life um and you know they're already one of our most marginalized communities in the uk so that's really concerning and those laws also will restrict access to nature for for a lot more people than that and really sort of start making the countryside a lot less accessible so there's a lot of really concerning stuff in there uh like i say we've got we're gonna do a podcast that digs into a bit more and there's a lot you can read on our website um and our social at the moment to to learn a bit more um but yeah definitely definitely worth keeping an eye on and definitely worth yeah signing our open letter on that you can find on our homepage. um yeah it's a bit worrying danny scary stuff and I'm glad that we can dig into it in more detail in a later episode. It is, yeah. It's it's worrying. And uh, yeah, please do head to our homepage and sign the open letter if you haven't yet. Um, but let's move on to slightly more hopeful topics and dig into today's episode, which is about green jobs. And we love a green job, don't we, Danny? I am a big fan of green jobs. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the more, we... the more green jobs, the merrier. Okay, so earlier, obviously, we were talking about coal and oil and gas. And I think, you know, we're pretty clear that we don't want more coal. We don't want more oil and gas. But we need to be aware that these industries do feed a lot of jobs as well. And if we're talking about transitioning away from fossil fuels and into a green future, it does also need to be a fair future. And there needs to be ways for people to reskill and move into green industries that don't drive climate breakdown. So Friends of the Earth did recently work with a few organizations, including Teach the Future, who we're going to be talking to a bit today, to produce a green jobs report, um, having a look at sort of the opportunities that we've got to create more green jobs in the UK, and also some of the barriers facing young people in particular to, to actually get into industries that aren't climate damaging. Um, so... Danny, do you want to kind of give us a bit of an intro to our guests? So yeah, we have two exciting guests joining us today. First, we're going to be speaking with Claire from Urban Transport Group, which is a network of transport authorities working to ensure that transport plays its full part in making our city regions greener 
and fairer for everyone. Then next up, we'll be chatting with Lola from Teach the Future, which is a student-led campaigning organization who focuses on better preparing students today by prioritizing climate education and empowering them to envision and contribute to a better future. Sweet. Okay. Um, I guess let's just go straight to these interviews and there's some really interesting stuff from both of them. So keep listening. Okay. Claire, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Can we start off by just getting a little bit of background from you? How what what is your job? Why are you why are you talking to us about green jobs today? Yeah. So um so I'm policy and research advisor at an organization called Urban Transport Group, which works with city region transport authorities to help them make uh, more sustainable, greener, fairer transport systems. Um and I kind of came into this role um because I have a passion for sustainability so I studied um, geography as an undergraduate and then I went on to do um, postgraduate studies in low carbon technologies and I always thought I'd actually end up kind of more in the energy sector Um, but during my postgrad studies I kind of um, started um, getting more interested in transport and the immediacy of transport of people's day-to-day decisions Um, and I think it has um, more immediacy for sustainability as well Um, so I kind of ended up doing transport and transport policy. Um, and I kind of look across all different transport policy areas. Um, so for, from sustainability through to um, creating inclusive transport systems, public transport, um, and a bit around uh, freight and how we get our goods and services in our cities. Great. We will be talking quite a lot about green jobs. What does a green job mean to you? Um, so I think... Um, I think typically we've kind of thought of green jobs as things kind of in the energy sector um, or, you know, sort of retrofitting homes to be more sustainable, doing insulation, solar panels and that kind of thing. But I also think we should try and think more broadly about what what constitutes a green job. Um, So I think there's lots of... um, jobs like say like being a nurse or a librarian that are not typically thought of as green jobs but are not contributing to kind of climate change and environmental damage but that we could kind of bring into that definition of green jobs. So how did what was what do you kind of feel about your journey into having a sort of a green job as it were did you did you find that route quite easily did you find it a challenge is it something that you were always quite focused on and you had to sort of push for what was what was that experience like? I was always definitely always interested in sustainability and kind of from school was very interested in geography and went on to study geography at university. Um, And I think, I don't think I necessarily set out to get a green job, but I was very interested in environment, environmental issues. Um, And I graduated from my undergraduate in kind of the midst of the last recession um, and there wasn't kind of a lot a lot of jobs around at that time and um, so I actually went on to do a PhD at the University of Leeds because I could get the funding to do it um, and I did it in sort of low carbon technologies and kind of more specialised um, my interest in kind of the environment and sustainability. Um, I mean like I say my knowledge is mostly about the transport sector but I think there's quite a lot of routes into jobs in the transport sector whatever your sort of um academic background is so there's increasingly sort of apprenticeships um in transport planning and various other kind of transport um professions um and schemes that are kind of aimed at people looking to change careers um and then there's kind of the more conventional degree and master's route into into the transport sector as well so I think it's quite quite a broad way of getting into into the transport green jobs. 
it's great to hear that there are apprenticeships available because um, I think a lot of people face this kind of problem where in order to get a green job, they need experience, but to get experience, they need a job. Um, I know that I definitely encountered that problem when I wanted to uh, nab myself a green job. Um, so what, what barriers do you think um, people face who want to get a job in, in a green job? I think that point's really important there about having the experience. And I think sometimes, um, I mean, I was really lucky because I took a, um, a paid internship at the Institute of Public Policy Research um, in their energy transport and climate change team. And that gave me the kind of policy experience that then enabled me to get this kind of transport policy job. Um, but I know that it's kind of a lot of uh, I think increasingly internships are being, you know, paid and recognised in the right way. But I think sometimes that can be a real barrier for people to get into kind of um, cer- certain parts of um, the green jobs sector. Claire, you talked a little bit about social inclusion. How do you think transport can help social inclusion in our communities? So I think helping um, transport can help improve social inclusion by connecting people to opportunities. So um, if you've got good, uh, high frequency, high quality, affordable public transport, you can help connect people to jobs and leisure activities and um, health, healthcare, um, all kinds of all kinds of opportunities. Um, so ensuring that we've got high quality um, public transport means that people can make make those connections to those opportunities in a sustainable way and also um sort of if we can improve access to active travel as well as an option that can also help to improve social inclusion by helping people to access opportunities and it's also super affordable you know if we can improve um access to walking and cycling then you can help um say people on lower incomes to access employment or other kinds of opportunities as well so yeah I think improving both public and active travel can really kind of enhance social inclusion. So yeah so you just mentioned apprenticeships um, and we know that green jobs make sense for the planet and then they're going to be more sustainable in the long run Um, but how do we create more of them whether that's apprenticeships or other types of green jobs? Yeah so I think um, for me one of the big things is when we're thinking about our kind of plans for how we're going to achieve our net zero targets and decarbonise our economy, um, we need to be thinking about what skills we need to do that. Um, so, for example, last year, the government um, put out their draft transport decarbonisation plan, um, which uh, I think everyone was quite pleased with. Um, I think it was bolder and stronger than people thought it was going to be and and actually does, you know, really set the agenda for for decarbonising our transport sector. But there wasn't a single mention of jobs. And and to me that was a big oversight because we are going to need to reskill or develop new skills in our economy in order to be able to decarbonise. So I think to me um we need that leadership and that recognition that in order to deliver decarbonisation on the timescales that we need to deliver it, we're going we're going to need lots and lots and lots and lots of jobs. Um, so I think um, that to me, having that leadership from from government and in policy is really important to be able to deliver more green jobs. So you mentioned there were kind of your like other people you know going in who done similar PhD programs. I'm aware that like a PhD sounds quite intimidating for a lot of people sort of considering routes in. What are some of the sort of the less the less kind of terrifying routes um, into into this this sort of work? 
Yeah, so I think there's, you know, I think there's everything from sort of apprenticeships through to grad schemes. Um, and I think there's whatever kind of background you come from, there's a route into, um, well, certainly, like I say, from my experience in the transport sector, there's a route in. Um, and I think also, I think it's really important to recognise that people might change jobs and change careers into green jobs so um I have a friend of mine who um worked in she actually worked in kind of science communication and education um and then shifted over to become um a sustainability manager because a lot of the skills were transferable you know it's about communicating with people it was about educating people on what they needed to do and helping them to make change um so I think I think one of the really important things is is arming people with kind of a broad set of skills um, that we can then that they can then take to to a range of careers. So it might be that you're kind of technically minded and you go down a sort of science technology route and then you apply that to a green job or or, or not a green job. Um, or you might be, you know, a really good communicator and that leads you to do journalism and then you switch to do communications around climate change. So I think it's about, you know being aware of kind of the different different kind of skills that you could apply to a green job and I think you know if you if you're passionate about sustainability and and green jobs and there's probably a career for you in green jobs because there's um you know we need we need all kinds of people in green jobs in order to be able to deliver decarbonisation across the economy because we're going to need everybody (laughs) So yeah, that's quite interesting because I, I had a similar experience of that of like I worked in sort of agency comms and doing video and, and film and stuff initially. And then that kind of slowly morphed into what I do now, which obviously transferred into working with Friends of the Earth and doing comms that are much more around sustainability. Um, also had the fun joy of graduating into the last recession and uh, doing a lot of strange work uh, on my way up there. So yeah, there's definitely, I've definitely found that kind of uh totally unplanned route in which is nice Danny why how did you end up here yeah I I felt a little bit lost after leaving uni um a lot of my friends did kind of internships um in kind of like banks and stuff like that and that really didn't interest me so I ended up just getting some random jobs I I worked for a while as a private investigator um wait as a journalist and then a few other things (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did you legit work as a private I, investigator? I, I, was, I didn't know whether to mention that. I did actually work for quite a while as a private investigator. And oh, I don't think we've got time to dig into that, a, but I need to know everything. <laughs> yeah, moving swiftly on. Then after a few years, I just, I, I decided I wanted to, to do something that was more in line with what I really cared about, with the environment. And I didn't really know where to go because, you know, so many jobs require experience but it was difficult to get that experience without a job um so I ended up working doing like an unpaid voluntary role for a little while luckily I had some savings that I could draw upon and and some support from my family but um that's definitely you know a privilege to to be able to do that and I think a lot of people um aren't able to rely um on the bank of mum and dad or on having some savings to to get them through a, a an unpaid voluntary experience. So I think it's so important that there are paid apprenticeships or other ways in for people to get, um, to get these kind of jobs that, that people really want to do. 
hundred percent. Cause I think this is definitely on the comm side of things. Like it's such a problem in the media industry and kind of communication stuff is that you are kind of expected to work for free for the first kind of year or two maybe of of doing it particularly if you're freelancing or, or trying to get your foot in the door and it keeps out so many people because you you have to be able to also obviously support yourself um, and I was very lucky in that yeah I also got to move to London with some savings and then did a lot of temping to be able to do the free work but it yeah it, it completely excludes um, a lot of people and means that we've got a upsettingly homogenous media and that bleeds into comms in all sectors as well which is not where we want to be to put it mildly and not just the media but also the environmental sector itself is you know has has a long way to go to to being more diverse and really representing the interests of everyone in our society um claire you you've talked a little bit about some of the things that that people can do um, to find a green job is there any um, kind of last piece of advice that you'd give to one of our listeners who might be interested um, in getting a green job um I think uh, expanding what you think about as a green job is really important so um not just thinking about the kind of conventional um energy sector or um you know putting solar panels in a house but expanding how you think about green jobs and where you think you might find a green job you know a lot of um local authorities will have lots of jobs that will be contributing to you know more sustainable areas and more sustainable cities um so i think yeah that for me is kind of really important is expanding how we think what we think of as a green job and that will help you to find you know different kinds of green jobs and different ways into um sustainable career paths I really like that because I particularly like kind of talking about particular cities and and the area that you're in because I think it's really easy as well as thinking of green jobs or sort of working towards sustainability being about wind farms and solar panels like it's also really easy to think that everything's got to be on this massive massive scale and something that I think like we definitely find in in our work is like once you start being able to change like however small an area around you or kind of work yeah with your town or your city or your school or your workplace to build in those elements of sustainability like that has a knock-on impact and that is a really positive thing to do you don't have to sort of go from like naught to global level solutions um so I really yeah I really like that kind of point of just being able to think about where you are and like all the different types of of green jobs you could be doing there it's nice so Final, final question, Claire. What is it that gives you hope in the sort of area of sustainability and how we're going to take on climate? Uh, I think we've seen um, really positive signs over the last um, 12 months, even in um, really challenging times. Um, We've seen a lot more people walking and cycling and people being more connected to their local communities. Um, And I think if we can take some of that positive energy into how we uh, go forward um, in making our places more sustainable, then I think we could have a real positive impact. Nice. Yeah, I feel hopeful good good (laughs) boosted me i'm like yeah okay we could do that thank you so much claire um where can people find you if they want to know more about your work uh so i am on twitter at claire l linton um and also you can find out more about urban transport group uh we are urbantransportgroup.org and also on twitter at utg underscore uk thanks so much for chatting to us it's been really nice and really interesting thanks very much it's been fun thanks claire 
Hi, Lola. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Hello. Um, I'm good. Yeah, I'm doing well. Good. Um, could you start off by just giving us a little bit of background about you, uh, kind of introducing yourself to the listeners and um, also kind of telling us a bit about Teach the Future? My name is Lola and I'm a youth climate strike activist from London. Um, my kind of journey activism started with the organisation UKSCN, which um, founded the climate strikes. Um, and then they um, started the organisation Teach the Future alongside um, SOS, which is Students Organising for Sustainability. And Teach the Future is a organisation all about climate education um, in all sorts of spheres. So everything from, um, you know, getting green apprenticeships to um, making sure that the actual buildings that education takes place in are good for our environment and are green. So that's an organisation that I... um, campaign with and work with at the moment. So in your experience with Teach the Future, do you think there's a lot of appetite among students to get green jobs in future? I think like, I might be a bit biased um, because (laughs) these are the spaces that I exist in, but I definitely think that there is like, even just, you know, um, I say that in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way, but like even looking at like, my union like other students I definitely think that people do are looking towards their like futures and their careers as something that they want to align with their values and um sustainability and the environment and climate something which is really important to us so I think that it definitely there is an incredible appetite for green jobs and like a lot of people um a lot of young people today are really looking at that as something which they want to be um more encouraged essentially in society so yeah so what can you tell us a bit about your experience or the experience of people you know about some of the barriers that people face when they're looking for a green job whatever that job may be yeah um I think there are a ton of barriers similar to the ones that you experience um and it's they some of them are similar to a lot of the barriers for like young people seeking like any kind of job so especially at the moment like with the coronavirus um crisis and all this like the job sector has become really crowded um and so a lot of young people are finding that even if they do have um experience there are like hundreds or even thousands of applications for single positions um and so a lot of young people are kind of um locked out essentially of the job market and having long long stretches of unemployment which is really negative for obviously their um present situations but it also has um this has been found to have implications for their um potential earnings in the future, um, decades and decades into the future of their careers. Um, So it's something which is really, um, in this moment, like with the pandemic and all of this, it's something which is having a really negative impact on young people and their, um, who are seeking, seeking employment. So what are some of the, are there any kind of like really key changes that particularly Teach the Future are pushing for at the moment that you want to see? Like, well, yeah, what's kind of, I guess, the biggest thing you want to see change in order to remove some of those barriers? 
I think a really big thing that we want to see is green apprenticeships and like especially with um especially um when it comes to apprenticeships and the system that we currently have it's positive that like we're seeing a um turn towards trying to encourage people who want to build technical skills to be able to do that but it is a really exploitative system at the moment and it's one which has a lot of young people um working for really really low wages that are simply not sustainable and one can't live on um to do um a lot of work for you know businesses um and not actually get that much um education and so what we want to see is more apprenticeships that are green and also apprenticeships that are fair where young people are unionized and they have more um teaching hours and they have wages that actually enable them to live because young people need to eat too um so yeah even though you're no, selfish like wait hang eat, on apparently um, but yeah i understood <laughs> anyone Anyone under the age of 20 just can work for free endlessly um, just to get experience is what I've always been I mean, told. So, <laughs> all right, mind blowing. Um, so, Friends of the Earth published a report really recently um, calling exactly for that, like a huge expansion of apprenticeships. I think a quarter of a million apprenticeships, um, if I remember correctly. And if Boris or any of the other government ministers are listening to this podcast, which I'm confident they are, um, then they should get cracking with that as soon as possible. There are a lot of like young people who do care about climate and they, you know, go to a protest, they care about these issues and it might be something that they would want to think about in the future in terms of like what career they want to pursue, but maybe they don't have the time to campaign for, you know, to volunteer for an environmental organization or to campaign for, you know, hours and hours um, for free for organizations that like they might care about, but they might not be in a position where that is something that they can afford to do. That might not be reasonable for them. And so we do have this like sphere, which is quite dominated by people who can, who often tend to be middle-class and come from particular parts of the nation and particular Um, backgrounds financially and ethnically and it is something that contributes to what we're able to create and what kind of vision it is that we're trying to build in terms of our movements and so I feel like it's kind of interesting you're just talking about green jobs and we're going everywhere from like you know a mine in like Scotland to you know an NGO in London but it's like that's what it's kind of there's all these different issues that are going on when we're thinking about this topic and it's like there are a lot of people who are shut out from potentially wanting to pursue a career in this space and like who could have so much to contribute because there is so much expectation to do so much for free and to contribute so much for free Mm. um and I think that that is something that we need to think more deeply about like when it is appropriate for that kind of thing to take place and when we do have to understand that we are shutting people out through some of the systems that we are creating so yeah yeah that's a really good point and I think that for example when I I really wanted to job at Friends of the Earth oh, um, your dreams came I remember true, even Danny. emailing Friends of the Earth I was so 
I was so desperate for a job at Friends of the Earth, I ended up emailing the fracking team saying, please let me volunteer with you for free. Um, I think I tried a, a number of times and, and um, no, one, no one responded to me. Um, I was rejected a few times and then, and then finally a job came up. But it was only actually because I'd basically volunteered for free for another NGO in the meantime that I was able to develop some of the experiences um, that, that basically enabled me to get the job. And, and there's so many other people who just might not have had the privilege to be able to, um, to volunteer unpaid um, for, for a few months to, to gain those experiences. So I think it's so important that um, environmental NGOs and all the organizations that are fighting for social justice actually represent um, society at large and the kind of communities that we're, we're fighting on behalf of and with. Yeah, definitely. And especially because like we, uh, we end up, we've got a largely homogenous like workforce in, in those sectors. And that also provides you with a pretty homogenous viewpoint on the world, which isn't actually very helpful for when you're trying to tackle the real reasons for the problems we're facing. You just, yeah, end up with the same perspective and, and often lack of perspective or kind of awareness um to really meaningfully take on those issues i'm kind of curious though because obviously we've talked a bit about like the barriers and the failures um that there are and like what needs to be done to actually mean there are more green jobs available but if you're like listening to this and those changes haven't been made yet uh what do you have any advice for someone who's kind of like school leaver age wants to wants to make sure that kind of their future career is green like what what can they do now that can help them with that it's kind of like what kind of tips do I have for myself I mean like no I'm just thinking about it I'm like that's kind of me isn't it like no um but yeah I think what are you gonna do <laughs> what with are your things life, that Lola? I would do <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I think there are lots of things that people can do and that I should do, but do I do them? Not always. Um, so I think a lot of the time, you know, um, Danny, you were kind of talking about skills and stuff and like um not always having the right skills for certain positions and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that a lot of the um people of like school leaving age who are trying to find like an entry level role um I think there's something to be said as well about like not just like obviously I come from Teach Future and like we do represent young people but like there is also I think a drive to kind of like not just make sure that we're encouraging diversity and like all these different aspects of things in entry-level roles but also like doing that at like the other end of the spectrum like at the top but I digress um I think that like you know we if you look at like if you're looking at a job application you kind of think you know do I I don't have any professional like experience I don't have um you know a hundred percent of all the skills that are listed like draw on what you have and like what you can bring and things that are transferable and like all the different um experience that you had across your life and kind of look at it from that perspective rather than like you know oh I don't tick like every single box so they must not 
I must not like be applicable and there's no point like there obviously it is difficult and like times is hard or whatever but like you also need to know like what you can bring to this sector and like that um essentially you do have value and like your perspective is valuable as um a young person it's important that you um value that um and understand that it's valuable and it has worth um I would also say like while it is important to um you know gain to gain skills and um sometimes it might feel like you have to kind of work for free to achieve that um I would say like sometimes it's better to like work in a movement space or like gain experience in that kind of space where you can you know gain skills which could be transferred to like a professional um space in the future um rather than doing like an unpaid feeling like you have to do an unpaid internship for six months in order to get a job you know if you are someone that cares about um you care about climate you care about making sure that your career is green like working with organizations that are trying to achieve that at a more grassroots level um and which aren't going to you know ask that you work nine to five for free for like three months in order to gain skills can um be quite empowering and also give you skills that will be like transferable to other kinds of more professional spaces so I think those are two tips that I would have yeah I think they sound like good tips and like I don't know if that would actually help anyone but they can have that I think so I think that's helpful and also like there's a couple of things that I really like resonate with in that and to particularly like first of all I don't gotta say I don't trust any organization that expects someone to like work for free full-time hours I think like that is always somewhere where they don't know how to treat people well um so like be wary of those anyway because that that's that's never shows that they're really considering it considering the impact on you but also the um I think your point around kind of entry level and that needing to be not just opening up kind of a lot of entry level jobs from like a more diverse range of people without actually like having the onward journeys and like making those different like, making those changes up top as well because I think you do you do see that a lot so Lola to wrap things up tell us something that gives you hope I think the main thing that gives me hope is um knowing that I'm part of a movement of young people who aren't going to give up and understand the nature of the climate crisis and are essentially fighting with everything that we've got to ensure that um, those who have power redistribute some of that power and use power that they have to support people and planet rather than the interests of um, those who already have wealth and influence and just want to accumulate more um and I think I also get hope from knowing that there are other ways of engaging with the planet and with each other and knowing that there are communities around the world that do things differently um and that we there's not just one way of living no matter what um 
a lot of people try to tell young activists that, you know, we're naive and that what we want is impossible, that actually, you know, communities, particularly like Indigenous communities and all sorts of um, people across the world do live differently. And the only reason that we don't hear is because there are people that have a vested interest in keeping things the way they are because they benefit um, and I know that there are those of us who understand that that's what's going on and are fighting to make things different. And that gives me hope. So, yeah. So often, like, so we try and ask most people kind of, so what gives them hope? And it, I feel like our most frequent answer is the fact that there's like so many passionate young people who are like not standing for this and who are like fighting. And I, it's always a bit, I'm always a bit torn on it because it feels very much like obviously is our job as much as uh anyone and like it's an easy it's an easy thing for adults to be like it's fine um the young the young people will sort it out which is not the vibe we want but um it is yeah I don't know it's nice to it's nice to hear as well because it is it's exciting to see you all be way smarter and way better and way more passionate than I feel like anyone I know was when they were leaving school so but I do think actually it's funny because like we are just like kids and like we just do I feel like sometimes you know we are kind of like put on a bit of like a pedestal that like oh it's so like you know we're just like a bunch of like mini perfect Greta's and we're like so perfect and like incredible and it's like we're just we, we do dumb we just do ridiculous stuff too you know and like I feel like for me I take hope from the fact that, like, I know that I am part of a movement and I feel like people, you know, it's, I think it's too easy. I wouldn't be able to take hope um, from kind of seeing a movement and, like, looking on at it, you know, from the outside. I take hope from knowing that, like, I'm part of a community of people who are fighting and, like, I think that people should take inspiration from us perhaps in like that sense of like actually being inspired to take action and form part of that because I have seen like that similar thing of people being like oh the kids are so cool like they're good you know they'll deal with everything and it's like no that's not this that's not what you should take from this like at the end of the day we are <laughs> we are a bunch of kids <laughs> who do ridiculous stuff like write fan fiction Uh, okay, so thank you so much to both Claire and Lola for joining us because we really loved talking to you. Um, and I think, I don't know about you, Danny, but I found it really nice talking to them both about how we can kind of look a lot wider at what we mean by green jobs than just sort of thinking, oh, well, it's going into like wind farming or solar panels because I don't, I definitely fall into the trap of that's what I picture when I hear green jobs and there's a lot more potential than that. Um Danny, what were your thoughts? I thought it was really exciting to hear about the opportunities that already exist for people to get green jobs, whether they're kind of via the academic route um, that Claire went down, but also hearing some of the opportunities for apprenticeships um, in green sectors. But, you know, we can't rest on our laurels. There's, we have a long way to go and we need to see the whole of society completely ramp up the opportunities for green jobs. Um, 
So there's definitely green shoots. Um, and yeah, actually, yeah, just a good way to, for people to get involved in that is having a look at, we've got some local elections coming up where you can, in a lot of places around England and Wales, you can be voting for your mayor or your Senef, um representatives. Uh, and those people have the power to be doing things like creating green jobs and building those apprenticeships in your area. So so yeah, if you if you've got an election coming up where you are, um, have a look uh, if you're registered to vote, and if you can be pressuring candidates to make sure that like green jobs get taken seriously uh, in those. That's always an important thing to do. That's actually a really good reminder, Louisa, because I recently moved house and I'm not registered to vote in this house. So, um, Danny, register away, like this your weekend. Life I'm going to register to vote and make sure that I can vote in the upcoming local elections. Yeah, that's it from us today. So as always, give us a like or a subscribe or get in touch if you have any questions. Um, You can obviously do the like and subscribe on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on. Um, Or if you want to get in touch with questions, you can drop us an email at podcast at foe.co.uk. And yeah, maybe we'll answer it. You never know. We'll answer it, whatever happens. Don't listen to Louisa. Danny, it's been a joy. Have a lovely rest of your day. (laughs) Have a lovely weekend, Louisa. Um, Okay. Bye. Bye, everyone.